Today's kernel is going out to April, who's working towards buying a home next year. So April, I wish you the best of luck on this journey and hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, this is Chris. Hope you're doing well and welcome to Popcorn Finance, the show where we discuss finance and about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. Earlier this summer, I started joining Natalie Lizarraga, who is a host for NBC LX, for a weekly segment where we talk about the personal finance issues that we all care about, similarly to what I do here on the podcast. And recently, we got into a conversation about why so many millennials are feeling financially insecure right now. And I'd actually love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So take a listen to this clip from our conversation and let me know your thoughts. Chris Browning, welcome. So happy to have you on Current. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we're talking about money here. Let's start with some of the barriers that are kind of holding millennials back from really being able to feel comfortable with their spending. I know I am not. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I feel like there's so many things that we have to deal with in this just generation. I mean, just starting off the bat, cost of living, it, it is so much more expensive for us to find a place to live, whether that's renting or buying a home. I mean, if you can afford one in this market right now, uh, then it was for our parents. I know for my parents, they bought their first home and it was $175,000 out here in Southern California. There's, I don't think I can get a like a, a bathroom for $175,000 <laughs> out there these days. And so that's taking up a significant portion of our income, just having a secure place to live. So that alone causes some, some insecurities and discomfort, some pressure on our overall budget. If you add to that, the fact that we, I mean, so many of us have student loans. And I think the average student loan payment right now is somewhere around $400 a month. So that's another automatic expense that individuals are having for some people well into their, their 50s and 60s. And some people never even eventually pay it off. And then you tack on that just overall responsibility for covering our retirement because pensions don't really exist as an option for us uh, in many situations. There's just a lot of pressure on our bank accounts and our wallets that give us this, this feeling of insecurity like we we don't have enough or we don't we can't spend how we would like to. Yeah, so many of those that you mentioned seem overwhelming and very heavy when it comes to millennials and trying to save money. There's been studies that said before the pandemic, millennials were actually kind of gaining some ground when it comes to saving. Do you think that the uncertainty of the last 18 months has a lot of people being like, oh, I probably should do that if they haven't (laughs) saved before? Yeah. You know, as a millennial, I feel like I can say this. I think we're the generation of that just ask why, like, why are we doing things the way we have? And I think this pandemic really opened up our eyes to the way we were spending money, the way we were just living life and mm-hmm. made us question, is this how we should keep doing things? And so you did see a lot of people have money just flood into their savings account. Those of us who were fortunate enough to keep our jobs, I think is a key point, uh, because we stayed at home so long during the pandemic that we saw savings rates actually grow dramatically. But now that we were in this positive direction when it comes to savings and things start to reopen, I think there's a lot of questioning of what do we want going forward now? Now that things are opening, you know, people are going back on vacation, people are having fun. Uh, you're able to see friends and family that you couldn't see before. Mm-hmm. Now you have to stop and say, okay, this is great. I'm getting to do all the things I got to do before, but is my, it was my life going in the direction I wanted to, were my finances going in the direction I wanted to and what things can I change that I didn't think about before. And I think one of those big things is that work life balance. 
And we're seeing more people say, you know what? I like the flexibility of working from home. I like the flexibility of not working 40 hours, uh, whatever it may be. And I think the key to all this is that having that, that better savings account, doing a better job of saving it and preparing that, that foundation for your finances, it gives you a lot of flexibility and a lot of confidence to try things that you would have never thought you could have done prior to the pandemic because maybe a lot of us didn't have enough money saved. Yeah, and you start dipping into savings. You talk about the world opening up, all those Ubers and those <laughs> bottomless mimosa brunches start to add up when you're excited to get out again, <laughs> travel with your friends. Got to keep in mind to save your money. Now, the tools, they're there for us. The 401k plans, the employee stock options, all of those things. How can we really maximize what it is we're looking to save? You know, I think a lot of times people look down on the 401k plan or, or an IRA if your job doesn't offer a 401k plan for you because it seems boring. It seems like, why would we? Mm-hmm. Why, I mean, there's so many other things. You see all the stories in the news about people making millions of dollars from Bitcoin and Dogecoin and AMC. Like, there's all these very exciting things people are seeing. So often we overlook something as simple as a 401k plan. And actually, over the 4th of July weekend, my, my cousin, he's 21 years old, he was talking to all of us about how he's trading options now. And I was like, I didn't even know you knew how to invest. Now you're trading options. And <laughs> I told him, hey, make sure you still set aside some money in something like an IRA. And he was like, you know, I'm crazy. He looked at me like I was insane for <laughs> suggesting something so boring to him. But the thing is, that is often one of the best options that we have available to us because of the one, the, the great tax break you get by investing in a, a 401k okay. or an IRA. And also, it, it kind of keeps you focused. And that money, in most situations, you can't touch. And so, you know, whatever you're putting in there yeah. is going to be there for you in the future. Versus if you're throwing it into one of these apps that allow you to, you know, buy stocks here and there, you can easily cash that out. And it's not really that hurdle, that barrier to mm-hmm. stop you from dipping into that before you, uh, you need it when you're much older. I host another podcast called This Is Awkward along with my co-host Allison. And on this show, we discuss your awkward money situations like this one right here. I know it's become more commonly accessible to discuss finances openly for things like pay, but recently I had a friend who asked how much I make. My go-to response has always been, oh, I make enough or I'm comfortable. I keep it vague because I don't want others to feel like crap if they make less or expose myself to be taken advantage of financially. Normally, people kind of take the hint that I don't want to discuss this and back off. Not this friend. This friend pushed back and said, I didn't ask if you were comfortable. I asked for a number. (laughs) So if you want to find out how we would handle this awkward money situation, or you want to send in your own situation for us to discuss on the podcast, search for This Is Awkward on the podcast app you're listening to this show right now, or go to the show notes to find the link. Talking about that rise of retail investing, how risky can it be for someone who's looking to kind of give their spending and their savings a jolt? Mm. It can be extremely risky. And and I think with all investing, whether it's in your retirement account as well, there's always risk tied to investing because there's no guarantee that it's going to go up. It's not backed by, like, say, like a a bank account by the FDIC, where if something were to happen to the bank, the government guarantees that you'll get your money back up to a certain amount. With investing, there's always a chance that it can go down. And that risk grows exponentially when you start jumping into things that maybe you aren't too familiar with. And you've seen so many people go in 
buying these individual stocks, making it worse by doing something called like leveraging or kind of compounding their opportunity for growth, but also their opportunity for risk, doing something called buying on margin. That's where you're essentially borrowing money to buy more stock because you think you got this sure bet. And yes, there are a handful of people who have done extremely well with this, but there are a lot more stories of those people who did horribly well and ended up in a very tough position when all this was said and done. Yeah, and it definitely gets more risky the more money you put in. It's like gambling. Yeah. It's like gambling to me. <laughs> all right, finally, this is so interesting. You wrote about a guest who had a 1% rule for buying something. Please tell us about that. Oh, uh, yeah. So I got to speak with uh, Glenn James. He, he hosts a, a really popular podcast out in Australia called My Millennial Money. And he shared with me this tip he uses for uh, for budgeting and kind of watching his spending. He calls it the 1% rule. And he kind of came up with this when one day he found himself at the store buying a $1,300 Apple Watch for no good reason. He said, I don't know why I was doing this. I, I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but it was like one of those impulse things. He was there. He saw it. He was excited. So he bought it. And he was thinking of ways to stop himself from doing this again. So he implemented this thing called the 1% rule. The 1% rule is if you are going to buy something, if it is more than 1% of your annual income, you need to wait at least a day. So for example, if you make $60,000 a year, if your purchase is $600 or more, you need to wait. He's like, just sleep on it. Take a, take a nap, take, go to sleep for the day and wake up and see if you still want it. Because there, we're bombarded with so many things that look great to buy. I mean, there's TikTok, there's uh, Facebook and Instagram, there's Amazon, there's all these ways to make these really quick, almost instantaneous purchases. And so by saying, all right, let me think about this. If this is more than 1% of what I make, let me take, take a step back, sleep on it, and then think about it the next day and say, do I really want this? Because I don't know about for you, but I know there's been oftentimes where I bought something, I got it, and I was like, wow, this was a, uh, a waste of money. Yes, that has happened to me many times. So much so that uh, my director just got my and said, I hope you're listening. So I am your number one consumer right now of all of this information. Chris Browning, host of Popcorn Finance. Got to thank you so much and so much personally for giving us this information today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And like I said at the top of the episode, I want to know your thoughts on our conversation. So if you're not already following me over on Instagram, come on over. Just look for Popcorn Finance Podcast, or you can send me an email to questions at popcornfinance.com. I love to hear your thoughts on this topic. As always, I appreciate you joining me here for yet another bag of popcorn. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week, and I'll talk to you soon. Your boy, keep it popping like Mary Poppins.